Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Saturdays with Jenny on Kaya FM 95.9. So now joining us on the line is Steve Connolly, who is the managing director of Penguin Random House South Africa. And that is the largest uh, publishing house in the country. And he sent a, a, a really, really interesting thing. I think it was in the beginning, uh, at the very beginning of the year, about what was going on behind the scenes with book, uh, book sales in an incredibly difficult year. 2020, for anyone selling books or having a restaurant or some, you know, anything in the services industry was hard, hard, hard. And I just thought there were all sorts of really interesting revelations. So Steve Connolly, thanks so much for joining us. Lovely to chat to you, Jenny. Now, I read this book, and Elisa, I read this book. Well, I did. I've been reading like a lunatic at the moment. But I read what you were you were talking about, and I was completely and utterly fascinated. First of all, it was not a good year for books, was it? It's really interesting, actually, because in South Africa, it wasn't a good year for book sales. But in so many other parts of the world, um, in America, in North America, in Europe, and even in Australia... It was, ironically, a record year for book sales. And the essential difference is that in those markets, Amazon existed and and books were available online. So physical bookshops like Barnes & Noble and Waterstones had the same sort of problems that we had here in South Africa. But a lot of people were able to buy books online and, and did so. In South Africa, we, we don't have Amazon. We have a, we have a, a small online supply chain um, and that has grown. But also in the six weeks we had the first lockdown, books were not regarded as essential items. So not a not a single book was sold in South Africa for six weeks. So the, um, I was going to ask you, I mean, that must have been the most devastating aspect of all. And that's the ignorance of the people, the command council who decided that books were not necessary. I, I have no words for that because... Yeah. Mm. yeah, it was absolutely bizarre. I mean, if you think people are locked up at home and unable to get out, then obviously one way of, of passing the time or, or interacting with your family or, or entertaining your kids is, is not just something on a screen. It's a book, and yes, it, I think it was a mistake. I think it was a a really um, a bad decision. You know, books take a lot. Was supplying all sorts of other materials, and books could have been included on that. But yes. anyway, it, it's gone, and those, those book sales never come back. Those. Those six weeks represent 12% of the year. Yes, so what you say is the lost sales are equivalent to 12% um, of a year's turnover and, and yep. you won't be able to recover it. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. From a publishing point of view, I think you know, for retailers it's slightly different. Um, you know, they, they may be able to drive sales more. I know most retailers have a good December in South Africa, so sales did pick up in, in that period. But what happens after, I mean, even after that six weeks of lockdown, cash was tight, so it wasn't as if bookshops were going to start buying big. I mean, even then, for the next few months afterwards, sales were you know, significantly less than they might normally be. No one knew what was going to happen. No one knew how things would pan out. So books, books, bookshops were buying what they felt confident they could sell in the short term and they could turn into cash again because cash was a real problem. And also, I think the thing that is is still against going into a bookshop or even a restaurant, if we're talking about this, is uh, is people don't want to mix with other people um, because of the virus. Yeah, absolutely. And, and 
And again, another thing that's interesting, I, I, I think, about South Africa, it's, it's, it's just a, it's an impression. I've got no, no evidence for it. But, you know, obviously, we in our group, we're one of the few countries that hasn't performed well this year because of the fact we don't have a large online infrastructure. Um, but also what's been interesting is that elsewhere in the world, one of the really big growth areas has been children's and young adult books. Mm. They've been growing exponentially. Um, since since March last year, whereas in South Africa, children's books have also declined. They haven't they haven't seen the growth that we've seen elsewhere. And again, I think it's exactly that point you're making. I think a lot of people who might buy children's books, parents, particularly grandparents, elderly uncles or aunts who might buy for their family members, are just wary of going in and browsing in in the children's in the children's section in the bookshop. And I think most children's books are probably bought through browsing. I mean, obviously you want to go in and get the new Wimpy Kid or if there's a new Harry Potter equivalent or something coming out. But most books, it's like you go in with your grandchild or with your child or with your nephew and these, and you browse and you see what they like. And I think people are just very wary, understandably wary of doing that now. So, so children's fiction was down a massive ten percent. Uh, your mm-hmm. your sales, Penguin Random House's sales, were down nine percent. I mean, it's still a significant amount. So, so I don't know that you you recover that. But but what it's saying to me is that we've got to have a local Amazon somehow. I mean, we've got take a lot. Um, we we do have this, but I don't know whether they are they the same thing. They're not because Amazon Amazon is a, an unusually sophisticated model. I mean, they, they they started this whole this whole model. The Amazon experience of of book buying is is a really top quality experience. I mean, you, the way you browse, the information you see on the book, the, the whole interaction on the screen, the recommendations they give. I mean, but they've spent years working on that. They started with that. That was a priority to begin with. So it's going to be difficult to replicate that. I don't know if they'll ever come to South Africa. I don't know if it's a big enough market for them. Um, but you know, having said that, it's, it's, if I look at the post-lockdown period, mm-hmm. um, the sales did pick up. And, and you know, I think if we don't have the equivalent of an Amazon coming in, um, Take a Lot has grown significantly. They are, they are partly filling that gap. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, the, the, the physical bookshops will start getting back to normal again once people, once people go back. I mean, there's a demand for books. The essential thing is that what's shown throughout the world is that there is still a massive demand for books, physical books. E-book sales did a, did a, a small increase during the, the really heavy, heavy lockdowns, but then they've, they've leveled back off to where they, they were before. E-book sales have been flat or declining for a, a number of years now. Physical book sales are growing globally. So uh, you know, the, the, as long as the demand is there, we will get, get back to the stage. We just have to survive this, get back to the stage where we can supply through physical bookstores again. And, and we still are doubling our efforts to help the physical bookstores because it's important for, for everybody that these bookstores survive and are supported. All right, so so let's have a look at some of the the book buying trends during lockdown. People who were able to get books. I mean, this is the bit that really, really fascinated me. Adult, uh, I'm talking about adult books. Consumer behaviour, basically, is 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 what you're calling it. And you say it's clear that fiction has not struggled as much as nonfiction. In the, uh, now, just just take us into that. I think I've got a response to that, but but I want to hear what you say. Well, it's all it's all in personal interpretation, really, isn't it? But it's, it's I would I would imagine what it is is that this year has been exceptional in in so many ways, and it's been a massive strain. And people want to escape, yes. and some people <laughs> escape by watching 
but then you're watching TV series. Some mm-hmm. people escape by just sitting on their own and quietly reading a book. And I'm convinced that's what it is. And with fiction, it takes you into another place, mm-hmm. another time sometimes, uh, and, and another world. Um, not fiction sales. I think people have just been, they've been hateful. They don't want to read a lot of drama or political intrigue or corruption or political analysis. Um, and there was a, there was one period in the middle of last year where books on race really started to spike globally and to some extent here during the Black Lives Matter um, um, demonstrations in, in America. And a lot of books on race, on issues like white privilege, white entitlement, how, how to be a non, non-racist did sell really, really well. But then that leveled off again. Um, but yeah, I think it's just fiction provides an opportunity to escape. It always has and it always will. Yes, but it's, it's actually overtaken. And traditionally in South Africa, non-fiction has sold better than, than fiction. Is that not correct? It is, and it still does. Um, it's, it isn't that fiction is selling more than non-fiction. I mean, in, in South Africa, like many markets, it would surprise, I think, most people to realize that non-fiction represents almost half of the market. Um, and with fiction and children's books, they tend to sort of hover around the 25, 26, 24, 25% range. So fiction is never anywhere near as big as nonfiction, even now during these times. But a lot of the big um, frontless titles are going to be fiction titles. So when you go into a store, you often see fiction everywhere first. But it's only, it's only a quarter of what's sold. And even now, it's only just over a quarter of what's sold. So overall, when you're looking at the um, the overall spread of what's sold in a bookshop, the, the the ratios haven't changed too much. But the decline, if I look, if I look at the decline, it's, it's been much greater in nonfiction, but nonfiction is, was so big to begin with, it still stays by far the biggest, um, the most dominant element. And in fact, if, if you look at, at South Africa, one book can have a major difference because of the size of our market. So, so Dion Mayer's uh, Donker Drush mm. has, has sold outstandingly well. I think mm. probably better than it would have done normally. Mm. And um, so in the Afrikaans market, fiction is actually up by, uh, by um, well, I think by 10% um, because of Donker Drush. And, and you know, in the same way, A Promised Land from, from Barack Obama has softened the decline of nonfiction a little bit. Um, you know, those two books are the top selling two books of 2020 and they both came out towards the end of the year. But actually both came out in November. Um, so yeah, but there is a decline, but still the overall proportion, it's just so big, it doesn't get shifted too much. I, I want to talk to you about the Sassel, the Sassel Birds book. I mean, I've got it on my iPhone, so mm. you know, so I can I can wake up and listen to birds calling and things like that. But but the Sassel, um, the, it, it's a new new volume of, of mm. bird books that apparently just wiped the floor clean. It was really interesting, actually, Jenny, because that came out. I think it was about July, and if you think the lockdown started in the middle of March, the whole of April. June, sort of, there was a bit of a recovery as bookstores book stocked up, but July we were still peak. It was like really, really bad stuff. And um, obviously nobody was doing physical book launches, and we'd all, we'd all tried online launches, and what we were trying was sort of online equivalents of what we'd always done before. So we were trying to get the same sort of people, even the same sort of numbers were coming in. We were getting like a, a 100, 150, 200 people coming. But what we found, what we discovered during the lockdown was with online launches, if you're working in a particular niche, I mean, obviously this works particularly in the, in the nonfiction space. And if you've got mailings to, to that niche to make people aware of something, 
So we did the launch of, of Sassel and it was, it's a complete new edition. It's got bird calls in there. It's got a massive amount of new artwork for, for the, uh, for a lot of the birds in there. Um, and we, we, we decided to do a, a Zoom launch. And the, the demand on the day was so, so great mm. that I think we had, I think the maximum was in the Zoom room allowed was 500. And then it spilled over and we did a live Facebook um, airing of the launch as well, which mm. I think was 2,000. So we had two and a half thousand people listening to an interview of, people, of authors who were in different parts of the country. Um, and it was massive and, and also gave the people the opportunity to put in questions at the time, which an interviewer can sort of scan through and see you know, if, there, if there are any questions they want to ask. And it, it, almost exactly the same thing happened when we, when we published later on in there a book called The Field Guide to the Renostafelt. Yes. Now, you know, how many, how many people would you expect to be at a book launch of A Field Guide to the Renostafelt? Well, the thing is, if it's in one place, in one city in South Africa, probably a moderate amount. But if it's online, um, and the Renostafelt is such a particular um, ecosystem, um, and, and not, not ecosystem, what's it called? Uh, yes, ecosystem. Um, that we, we, we got, I think we had 2,000 for that, and we sold 600 books at the, at the online launch, <laughs> which we would never normally do at a physical launch. So, you know, there are lots of learnings there. And, and actually, one of them, which is, it's just, you know, it makes, makes you think of what you have to do moving forward. And we have to exactly. learn a lot from these exercises. Exactly. Is that conventional marketing in, in throughout the world, in the book world, stopped for two to three months. And in those markets in Europe and North America, book sales didn't change. Well, look, it's fascinating. We're going to take a short break and I'm going to ask you what your hot to trot book is uh, just after this. Saturdays with Jenny every Saturday from 9 to 11 a.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. So we're back with Steve Connolly very briefly for um, I just want to find out what he's reading and he's raving about. And of course, he is the managing director of Penguin Random House South Africa. So, Steve, what is your favorite book of the moment? Okay, if I have to be brief, I'm going to be even briefer and give you two. So the, the main one is that I've just finished is The Sentinel by, by Lee Child, who's done it in conjunction with his brother Andrew Child, classic Lee Child. Um, you know, he, Jack Reacher ends up hitchhiking into a small town in, in Tennessee, stops off for a coffee, sees four guys silently converging around another guy decides to see what happens, they're going, to, they're going to attack him, he intervenes. And it's a story that ends up looking at Russian hackers going into trying to influence the U.S. election. There is some over-the-top treatment of U.S. American neo-Nazi sympathizers. Um, the whole town is, is alienated, alienating this guy who's going to be attacked because of fake news, essentially, and that the, the Russians have they've hacked into the software of the system. They're blaming this guy. He's being ostracized by the whole lot. It's just, it's a very zeitgeisty Lee Child book. Um, and the other one I want to talk about, which I haven't started yet, which I'm dying to, is a local one. It's William Dicey's 1986. It's a diary of a very bad year, actually. It's a really interesting book. William has looked at 1986, pivotal year in our history. Vigilantes, necklacing started, mm -hmm. um, but it was also the year the talking started. It's, what he's done is created a diary from January to December using memoirs, newspaper um, articles, looking at ordinary people as well as famous people. There's beautiful moments like the deputy commander of Polsmore um, 
taking Madiba out on a scenic drive around Cape Town in secret. Um, it's just a, a really interesting approach to history. It's an experimental book that we're doing, and I really hope South Africans give it a chance. All right. Thank you very much indeed. And Steve Connolly, thank you so much. And I'm going to take you now to, to Lee Child, because if you haven't read Lee Child, you just have to read it. His hero oh, yeah. <laughs> his hero is, uh, is Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher has got no clothes. I mean, he wears clothes. Uh, when they get dirty, he goes into a local dime store and he buys clothes. He keeps his own toothbrush, but he walks. He walks everywhere. He is an iconic figure. Mm. And The Sentinel is the 25th novel in the Jack Reacher series. Um, and it was published uh, recently. And it is the very first book co-authored by James Grant and his by James Grant and his James Grant and his younger brother Andrew Grant by Lee Grant. What what am I talking about? That's it. The, the, the James Grant is his real name. Lee Child is his. Oh, name. okay. All right, but published using their respective pen names of Lee Child yeah. and Andrew Child. And here is Lee's explanation of why he decided to share Jack Reacher with his brother Andrew. He was speaking to the True Reviews. Well, yeah, I mean, I, uh, when I started out writing, um, you know, everything I write is basically based on how I feel as a reader. And, you know, having read all my life, you, you do become aware that at a certain point, authors start phoning it in. And so I made myself a promise, and by implication, the readers a promise, that I would never, ever phone it in. And I've kept that promise, I feel, for 24 books. And, uh, but then I started to kind of feel, it's a bit like your car. You know, suppose you've got a car that, that you've had for a number of years and you really like it and so on. But it starts to make a weird noise or it goes a bit strange. And you think, oh, God, I'll have to get a new car next year. Or maybe I could get another two years out of it. Maybe three if I'm lucky. Um, but the point is, it has entered your brain that at some point the end is in sight. Hmm. And um, I was getting to that stage. I thought I cannot keep this up any longer. I've done it for 25 years. I'm an old guy. Um, Sooner or later, I'm going to run out of gas and ideas. And I did not want to let the readers down. So it was a question of stopping the series, really. Um, Except that, in itself, that would be letting the readers down. Over the years, they've grown really fond of Reacher. They really like the guy. They they want more. And I've always been conscious. In the very early years, it was about a financial contract. I needed to make a living. Um, happily, that was taken care of pretty soon. And then it became an emotional contract with the readers. Mm. They want the books. I must not let them down. And to stop the series would be letting them down. They would be really upset about it. So I had this kind of, what was really at the the time, a kind of harebrained fantasy that wouldn't it be great if I could wake up tomorrow morning 15 years younger uh, with all the energy and the ideas and the passion that I used to have 15 years ago And, yeah, I thought that was a sweet daydream. But then I thought, wait a minute. If I asked Andrew to do it, um, that would be exactly the same thing. Because we are not exactly the same person, but we're pretty damn close. Uh, Obviously, related DNA-wise, 
related in terms of our experiences, also in terms of our tastes. And it's really important for people to remember that this is not like a big surprise to Andrew oh, who is Reacher. I mean, Andrew's lived with Reacher from the start mm. because we're brothers, just like I lived with his characters, um, Dave Trevelyan, Cooper Devereaux. I love those guys. We're sort of into each other's stuff. So I felt uh, it, it would be difficult but not impossible for him to jump in at this point. And I remember developing this crazy idea and we were driving down to Denver from where we live in Wyoming uh, through the most horrendous blizzard. And um, I think I waited till he was driving on the way back and I said, how would you feel if, uh, if I faded away and you took over the Reacher franchise? And it was a huge question for me and for him. Um, you know, for me, it meant that I would be getting, as a reader, fewer of his books. If, he's, if his time is taken up writing Reacher, I won't be able to read his stuff, um, which would have been a disappointment. Um, and for him, you know, dramatic change of um, lane, jumping from his stuff to mine. Um, but I asked him, sort of, you know, heart in my mouth, would he, what did he think? And um, happily, he said, yeah, because I wouldn't have done it with anybody else. I mean, it's just virtually impossible to, it, to take over a series unless you're really close to it for years and really close to the author for years. So he was really the only guy I would trust to do it. And on that blizzardy night, he said, yeah. And so here we are. One of the most successful crime writers in the world, if not the most successful crime writer in the world at the moment. And that was Lee Child, who is now writing with his brother, Andrew Child. And the details of the latest book that Steve Connolly was talking about is called The Sentinel. And if you have got, I don't know, I don't know how much the book is, go online and see if you can get a, a, you know, a reasonable price. Take it and read it and you'll see how brilliant it is. And if you don't fall for Jack Reacher, well, I don't know what the world is coming to. Saturdays with Jenny every Saturday from 9 to 11 a.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.